Welcome to another episode of the NRL Supercoach All-Stars Podcast. This is Barnsley, back again for another week of the pre-season podcast episodes. This week's a fantastic one. We've got Wilfred Z from the Champions Podcast, also former overall classic winner of Supercoach, which is getting older and older, Wilfred, as the years go by. So <laughs> I'm expecting a another title soon. You're really under pressure now. You need to step it up a bit. I guess the the one thing I will say the fact that uh, no one else has done it but the the the, the repeat win yet I think that that takes a little bit of a pressure off me but yeah I certainly I mean I've backed it up with one top one thousand finish since then and and that's not good enough for me so I'll definitely need to pull something better twenty twenty two is my year mate <laughs> I, I think it is too I think you're going to go well this year um, I don't think you're going to take it out just quietly because I think nobody has as you said so I'm not expecting you to make any history but um, yeah I, I think you're going to have a bounce back year. Uh, we're going to talk about your Broncos this episode. We're also going to talk about the Storm this episode to do a team preview for 2022 on both of those teams. For those that don't know, everyone probably knows who Wilfred is, uh, but for those that don't know Wilfred's podcast, he does. It's a fantastic one called the NRL Supercatch Champions podcast, uh, available all the same places that all the other podcasts are available. I listen to it often. Uh, great people that Wilfred gets on there as well. That's going strong, Wilfred. You're hitting those in the preseason too for everyone to listen to. Yeah, cheers for the plug there, Barnsley. <laughs> it's always good to come and chat, especially because you always get me, get me on to chat the Broncos with as well. Uh, and, and yeah, obviously we've been kind of, we've been on and off through the off season and we did some fun stuff uh, after the 2021 season finished, you know, played some games and mucked around and, and looked at the 2021 season. And yeah, we're starting to get a lot of, a lot more prepped into 2022. Um, yeah, we just dropped an episode kind of reviewing all the the changes and our initial thoughts and things like that. So I'm pretty excited by this season, honestly. Yeah, so am I. It's, uh, it's come around pretty quickly. And I feel like, you know, it's only like six weeks away or something before kickoff, which is crazy. You know, I thought that I actually had plenty of time to do all these preseason episodes. And I've turned around and thought, oh, no, it's, a, it's actually going to be a tight squeeze to get all the preseason stuff in. But I always love the preseason content, like I'm very big on the NBA fantasy, as a lot of people know, and a lot of the other sports. I know you do the NFL as well. And I, I love just consuming all the preseason stuff because to me it helps you get by, yep. you know, with no no games. You know, there's no footy at the moment and all the content just helps you get by week on week until you have those games. Well, I was looking today at least anyway, and um, obviously we're recording this on a Thursday, two weeks and two days till the first trial. <laughs> And Fox Sports is televising all the trials now, which is fantastic. So we've got 32 trials, I believe, all televised. It's going to be awesome. I'm sure we'll have heaps of takeaways from those that will be totally irrelevant when the season starts. So it should be really good. (laughs) Hopefully Um, we don't get too trapped with some of the, you know, surprise performances in the trials and then, you know, dud no-shows in the main, in the actual season. It always happens. Like there's always these trial bolters, isn't there, that just look fantastic in the trials and, you think, oh, okay, cool. This guy's this guy's just killing it. He's going to be great. And then the season starts, and then there's this massive plotter that you end up selling in round three. Inevitably, happens every year. There's always one big, bright, shining light that no one thought of in the trials. It just doesn't do anything in the season. So I'm sure this year will be no different. Picking who that'll be will be the fun part. Um, 
let's go into the Broncos first of all and chat about them because they are your team, Wilfred. As far as the Broncos squad, for their gains and losses, you know, they've really not lost too much. You know, Asiad is gone, but that's fine. Coates is probably the biggest loss. Uh, Coates is obviously quite rated by a lot of Broncos fans that I hear. He's gone over to the storm. Uh, Anthony Milford might have been a big loss four years ago, probably a big big loss on your heartstrings, Wilfred, but <laughs> as far as football goes, it's probably good that he's moved along. Brody Croft needed to move along. A couple of older guys like Glenn and, and Teo that needed to retire. Uh, but the gains that the Broncos have got are actually quite strong. Adam Reynolds was a big off-season signing that's going to help them immensely. Uh, Kirk Capewell, big signing from the Penrith Panthers, grand final experience now. He's going to be able to give them a, a lot of experience on the edge and a pretty solid player. And he's not you know, that old. It's not like he's an over-the-hill purchase. After that, there's a couple of interesting ones that are a decent depth signings because, you know, Capel and Reynolds are obviously pretty clear starters and semi-star or star starters. But then you need those solid signings. And I think that you got those. You know, Ryan James on a minimum deal, that's fine. Could work out. Pereira, I don't think, got very much. And he's shown some decent footballers, some depth. Uh, and Billy Walters, who was a completely predictable signing because his father signed him. Uh, <laughs> that, was, that was always going to happen. But, you know, that's a bit of depth as well. And then hopefully you didn't play pay Branco Link or Jensen much. But if you didn't, then that's decent depth as well. So, I mean, overall in your signings, Wilfred, I, I think you had a, a decent off-season. You'd probably be pretty happy with it as a Broncos fan. Yeah, if I'm looking at just the recruitment, it's it started off a little bit questionable. But I think once we landed Reynolds and Capewell, it kind of was the, I mean, I like to think of it as the icing on the cake, but honestly, they're, they're really the foundation to the rest of these signings. So once we landed those two big ones, I think everything else in context looks quite good. Uh, one that kind of went under the radar a little bit, uh, Tamari Martin, uh, who medically retired a, a while back. He's uh, been cleared by doctors to play, and, and that's one that the Broncos managed to pick up on the cheap. So, you know, he was supremely talented, and unfortunately, we thought his career was over far too soon. So, I I mean, I'm hopeful because we do have this question mark at, at 5'8". And, I mean, tomorrow, Martin, next to Adam Reynolds, if we can get, you know, prime TMM, I think that could be actually quite exciting. Yeah, it's a pretty good signing for a minimum. And that's the thing. Like, a lot of fans will look at some of these names and say, well, that's not a good signing. But it, it's it's a it, real life is very much like super coach in a way where it's all about value. You know, you I remember having this discussion as a Roosters fan about Sean Kenny Dow many years ago, and people were like, "Oh, Sean Kenny Dow, you know, what are you doing resigning him?" And it's like, "Well, you know, Sean Kenny Dow on six hundred k a year is terrible, and it's just an awful, awful signing. But Sean Kenny Dow on two eighty a year is actually phenomenal." You know, and that's the difference. Um, the same thing with the depth signings. You know, you certainly don't want to be paying a Jordan Pereira, you know, 400K, 350K. But if you're paying him 200, then that's actually pretty good because he's a guy that can play first grade and he's great depth that you need. Uh, and every good side has that, whether you're looking at the top four sides or sides that are, you know, always in the top eight, they all have that depth and those role player guys to come in. So I like all those type of signings um, with uh, TMM. I tend to think that he's a year away, though. I think that you'll kind of bring him along. And if he's going to get back to his best, it's probably going to take him 12 months. But it could be a longer-term one that's going to be pretty decent. Yeah, look, I I don't think it's a 2022 relevant um, issue. But if he plays to year out and he shows something, like I think he's a great option to have on the books. And, you know, there's a lot of 
question marks again, like about that five eighth position, and no doubt we'll dissect that a little bit more shortly. But yeah, I I mean I looked at that signing. I'm like that's that's a smart Broncos signing. I, I want to see more of those, as you've highlighted, just the value and the ceiling that could be there. And if it doesn't if it doesn't turn up, then you know we haven't lost much. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's right. They're, they're signings that you can make where it doesn't really matter. I mean, I said that about Bryce Cutright with the Eels when he went over. I mean, he was on like 800, 850,000 of the Titans. That's awful. But, you know, when you're signing him for a minimum deal on a one year with a point to prove, nothing wrong with that because the worst case scenario is he doesn't work out. He's no good. You drop him to second grade, he can help your second grade team win a premiership and, you know, away you go and you do it with someone else. You know, really, there is no downside. So, um, Looking at the draw, let's have a quick gaze at that because the draw for the Broncos is a bit of a mixed bag to me. So I'm interested in in how you feel about it. South's first up isn't great, although I will say it's probably the best time to play South. They're going to be a bit of a new new spine there, um, a rookie in the halves. They're also going to have Latrell out as well. So it's probably the best time to play South straight up. Yep. Bulldogs after that. Now, Bulldogs perennially, you'd love to be playing and they're, they're up twice in the first two months, which ordinarily... For a round one purchase, you know, looking at the first two months of the season, playing the Bulldogs twice, you'd normally lick your lips and go, that's fantastic already. With the Dogs, they've obviously done a lot of signings. I expect them to be quite a bit better. I don't really know what to make of them, but I tend to think at the start of the year, they're going to come out pretty hard. Uh, So I don't know how easy that's going to be. The Cowboys is a pretty easy one. I'm tipping the Cowboys to be a bottom four team, Uh, but you've unfortunately got the hoodoo factor of that local grudge match that always happens that, that can be very tight and historically is. And then there's the Warriors and that, that rounds out the first month where you, you, on first glance, it looks decent and pretty good. Uh, but then you hit the Roosters and Penrith, which is a really bad round five to six swing that you've got to play. Hit the Bulldogs again with the Sharks. And then again, you've got a couple of rounds that are really tough where you've got uh, South when they're going to be at full strength, hopefully. And then you've got the Manly Seagulls. Then you have two easier games again leading into the bye with the Knights and the Titans. And then you've got the bye off, so you're not going to play that first one. So we can't really plan ahead for that. So especially looking at the first couple of months, Wilfred, very mixed bag for me. Like you're playing probably three top four teams out of that first eight games. Uh, and then really you wanted to be hitting to have a really solid draw. I think you want to be hitting teams like the Dragons and, and the Tigers in there because I reckon they're going to be near the bottom and conceding a lot of super coach points. And they're not in that first two, much for the, two months for the Broncos. So overall, I wouldn't say it's a draw that you'd be excited about for super coach. Yeah, I think mixed bag is probably the best um, description of it. Uh, I, I think there are a lot of teams that have worse draws. So I, I, I think it's, you know, you know, above average is probably where I'd have it. Um, the thing with the Broncos is I do feel even in the past, like even when they're a good team, they generally were pretty good for super coach and it's probably been not so great the last two seasons, but then you still have quite relevant options in there in amongst all the the tough times that we've had, you know, even last year, you know, not, I'm not talking about Pan Haas, but last year we had Jordan Ricky and, and Tessie New and all those guys who still, you know, were cheap. So everyone had them, but they'd actually, developed and went on to you know have some pretty decent scoring runs so I think the thing with the Broncos is does Adam Reynolds kind of lift that whole floor by just being him and able to keep them in attacking areas where more super coach points are on offer you know he can kick them out of trouble when they can't get down the field whereas that's something we've never been able to do the last few years once we lost uh really Ben Hunt honestly and and Ben Hunt's never really been fantastic at that in the first place 
So I do think that there's a potential, even with the tougher draw, that they could still score fine for Supercoach. Yeah, look, they're still going to have some relevant options. I think when we're dissecting their season last year, I I kind of think to me they went how expected. Uh, they were a bottom three team finishing 14th. They were on uh, a minus 249 for and against, which was pretty bad. You know, that was the third worst in the league. Uh, and they're on 16 points, which is actually equal to the Cowboys who finished 15th. So both the Broncos and the Cowboys were a fair way above the Bulldogs. But coming off a wooden spoon, having Walters come in as coach and, you know, all the preseason talk two years ago, the cleaning out and all that sort of stuff, it, it probably was a disappointing season by that regard. I, I didn't think that would go much better, but I don't actually have a lot of faith in Walters as a coach. <laughs> and I expected them to finish... 14th, and I, I actually thought that, especially early on, that they're a good chance of getting the spoon again until the Bulldogs absolutely capitulated. So seven wins last season, 17 losses, doesn't make for great reading as far as the 2022 prospects. I have to say it's funny because I do think that the Reynolds and Capel are good experience signings and signings that they needed to make, and they made them, obviously, but I still am pretty down on the Brisbane Broncos. So for me, I, I, still, I still think, and I've said this to you before, I still think their range is like 11 to 16, and I don't think that they're any chance of making the top eight whatsoever. Uh, and I do think that Walters isn't a great coach, and I think that we're going to see that again this year. So it's funny because I think that they have improved, but I don't really see a huge improvement on the ladder, like certainly not a running into the top eight type of improvement. And after a couple of years of not great seasons, to put it mildly, I don't really think a third year of not making the finals is going to be great for the Broncos. So I'd ha- I tend to say that Walters is going to be in, in the hot seat if his team's not in the top eight or at least like battling for it really hard at ninth or something. Uh, but that's just my take as a non-Broncos fan. Uh, I, I tend to, you know, think that on paper, Souths and Capewell uh, and Reynolds are better signings than what they will be in some Broncos fans' reality too. You know, I do think that some Broncos fans are probably expecting too much from... A, a guy in Adam Reynolds that's been around the block a lot has always been in the South system, so he's going to be slightly uncomfortable, uh, have a bit of an adjustment. And in his 30s and at the tail end of his career, you know, he's going to be good and he's going to, you know, really help them, but he's not going to be as good as maybe, you know, the saviour to the Brisbane Broncos that a few fans I've seen kind of think that he is. Capel's very similar. He's going to be really honest, um, set good work ethic standards and stuff. And, and help with the experience and be better on that edge than what you had, but he's not really going to put you up another level either. So that's kind of my take on their 2022 season, Wilfred. You know, where are you sitting as a Broncos fan entering into this year? So I'm trying not to be too optimistic just because, as they say, it's the hope that kills you. So I'm trying to be a bit more reserved about things. But look, I can't deny that I think 2022 is definitely going to be the best season in the you know, of the last few, and that's not that's not hard, obviously. Um, you just have to not finish bottom three. To- <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Look, you got to take everything you can get at the moment. Um, I guess what I was going to point out, and and I think with last year, I do feel that with Kevy coming in, you know, part of his, I guess, his ask was to try fix the culture, and I don't know, did he succeed? I don't know. Uh, I guess part of the media narrative was that. He didn't know what he was doing. He kept chopping and chaining his halves, et cetera, et cetera. And that was very true. You know, it took a long time before he could finally settle on, you know, what he thought was at least his top one or two or at least three halves pairings. And then even then, because of injuries, he had to keep swapping them in and out. But 
I think then there was obviously the much publicized Vita Pangai drama, Matt Lodge leaving. And, you know, whilst on paper they were, you know, probably top six, top seven player at the club, it certainly sounded like there was a lot of off-field issues that they were causing, whether it's them themselves, whether it was them in terms of their contract uncertainty causing, you know, a lot of stress for their teammates, whatever. Um, look, the only thing I was going to say is that once they left in round 15, so in the final six, uh, eight, nine games of the season from round 16 to 25, the Broncos finished with like a 4-5 record, which, you know, it's not fantastic, but when you're a bottom three team, like four, four, um, four, four wins out of nine games is not bad, basically. Um, I'll also point out that in rounds one to 15, so the Broncos, they were shocking. They averaged like 2.7 tries a game. They conceded 5.5 tries a game, basically. In the final uh, couple of games, you know, again, when Lodge Pangai left and they started to get a bit of stability, they started to, they, they averaged about 3.9 tries per game scored and only conceded about 4.2. So there was a marked, definitely a marked improvement in the actual squad towards the end of the season. Um, what do you put that down to? I don't know, but I, I like to think it's because they started to get a little bit more consistency the roster was mostly what Kevy wanted, and now he's made further changes to what he's got in mind. I definitely don't think Kevy is a, a mastermind at all. I, I, I agree with you there. He's got some serious question marks about his coaching ability. I do think, though, what he's been able to do is at least get a little bit more, I don't know if you want to call it pride or whatever you want to call it. There, there seems to be some bit more respect from the players with respect to the Broncos jersey again. So whether that contributed to, again, that uh, improvement towards the end of the season, you know, maybe, maybe not. I, I'm not trying to read too much into it, but there definitely was a, like that, that round 15, round 16 gap was a clear change from what I could see as Broncos. The motivation might have just been not to get the wooden spoon. Possibly. <laughs> to, save, <laughs> to save some contracts. I mean, Look, you don't want to get to that point again where you just, you know, your motivation is not to come last and that's when you start to step up. And, yeah, you know, it's, it's hard to tell because there was some really puzzling decisions that Walters made as well. And we're not going to go into it too much because we yeah. want to talk some super coach players. But, like, you know, I thought um, Tessie knew was, like, he looked really good and obviously he got dropped and, you know, it was like, well, he might have some defensive issues, but so does your whole team. And he's the best, one of the better attacking players that you've got on your roster at the moment based on form. So that just seems weird to me. Uh, there was other other players that weren't performing as well. I mean, the future immortal Jermaine Asako that gets picked every year for the last three years as a super coach bolter and never works out, you know, kept keeping his spot at times when he wasn't doing that well. Uh, there's just so many of the decisions just didn't really make sense. And obviously changing the halves every two weeks, you know, that's the sort of stuff that an under sixes coach does to give everyone a go. It's not, it's never going to work at any type of professional standard. It's not even going to work at an amateur standard. So I don't, I don't get it for a guy that's, you know, obviously had a storied career, played for his country, played for his state, coached Queensland with some great players and minds that he would have learnt off as well. If this is what he's got, then I wouldn't be too confident. And I really, I, I'm big on if you're a team that isn't very successful, you're not going to be successful without a good coach. You know, if yeah. if you're going to have a mediocre coach, you'd want to have a pretty good roster. And and the Broncos just don't have that. So obviously we'll wait and see. Um, certainly I think, you know, top eight is going to be what the Broncos think that they can make. Or I don't think that they can get there. But when we're having a look at their guns, Wilford for super coach, there's really only one name that sticks out and that's Payne Haas. Now, 
Haas had a down year. There's no two ways about that. But what it means is that he could come in with a bit of value. I am going to go out and say, as far as the actual guns go, the fully-fledged guns, he was one of the first guys I picked among two or three guys that I thought that I was definitely going to have. He plays front row forward. There's a big gap between him and who else you can have. I think that's the biggest thing with Payne Haas positionally. If he was in the second row, it might be a little bit tighter on whether you picked him or not. But as a front rower, uh, I, I think that he's definitely not a must-have. I hate saying that word, uh, but he's up there with one of the best purchases that you can make for round one positionally for front row forward. I'd rate him number one quite easily. He's coming off averaging 68 points a game. Now, normally that would be a very good season by anyone's super coach standards, but he's dropped from 75 in 2020 to 70, from 78 in 2019. He's actually been on a downward spiral and he's now 10 points worse off over the last three years than what he was when he started and burst onto the scene. That's not a great trajectory. His minutes were 60 a game, which is the lowest that he's had. And that's really the key. In 2020, he played 12 more minutes at 72 a game. It was well publicised last off-season that Walters was going to look at limiting his minutes a bit. And that was the worry. That's why I didn't want to start with him last year. He was obviously suspended anyway, so that made it easier for people not to. But I just didn't like what Walters was looking at doing. And then, he, and then obviously, Walters came out anyway and played him 69 and 66 minutes the first two weeks. And... You know, we all threw our hands in the air and said, oh, well, Kevy, that's him. You know, Kevy's going to, you know, <laughs> limit his minutes a bit. And he just didn't do it anyway. The bloke still averaged 68 minutes the first two weeks. Then we started to see the minutes drop, though. Uh, and because of that, it ended up being quite a few stat drops. You know, his PPM was actually 1.13, which was better than what he did in 2020. But in saying that, he had a 64 base in 2020, and that went all the way down to uh, a 54 base in 2021. So going from that base to a 54 is a huge difference. 10 points a game just in raw base is massive. I do see some optimism that he could get a few extra minutes a game, but I think it's more going to be his game, Wilfred, that I expect to step up. So I'm really interested in your take on it because I'm expecting his base to be closer to 60 uh, and that's going to be an extra six points as it is. And I'm also thinking that if he's ever going to get more clutch attack, it's got to be this year because we've now gone two years in a row where he's scored one try each of those years and he's a better player than that. You know, he really should have a few more uh, line breaks and a couple of more tries across the last two years and what he's had. That's an extra three points a game, just being very modest about it. So really, you know, he should be able to get towards that 75 points a game that he had in 2020. And, you know, a lot of the time when we talk about value, you really want like 10 points plus in value to go for someone but that's not the case with guns, right? If you can get a gun that's underpriced by that much, you know, that you're going to keep for the season, then that's golden. So for me, Payne Huss is a fantastic buy. I think a lot of people think that he is, but how do you see his season season panning out now with the changes from last year? So I guess um, something that gets a little bit lost was when he first came in um, to the, you know, round four last year, that first game, he did have to play more minutes because I think that's when Carrigan did his ACL. And there was also, you know, a bench, bench half. <laughs> there, there basically wasn't, there, there, there were more minutes that were required for the middle men. So I think that's something that probably needs to be acknowledged there. And the following week again, I think it was, uh, yeah, he, he made that 66 minutes. I, I thought he was going to play 60 to 65 and come end of season, he averaged about 62 in the games where he wasn't injured. So I've removed that last game where he only played 24 minutes. So he averaged 62.3 minutes across the season, which, I mean, I, I think that's that's not a bad number for him. 
I mean, for Supercoach, yeah, you'd love to see him play 80, whatever, but he's actually more effective when, you know, he's getting that 60 to 65 minute mark. His PPM obviously goes up. I totally agree with what you're saying. Like, I expect him to get a little bit more attack and, and obviously not necessarily as much as he did in his debut season. Like, he scored some pretty freakish tries. Um, that The one that sticks in mind is but he, he gets the ball 40 meters out and just, you know, steps a guy, busts the line, just runs 30 meters at almost a full sprint and scores under the sticks. It's crazy. You just don't expect a big guy that big, that fast <laughs> to be scoring tries. <laughs> and, and, and yeah, yeah, he, he's a, he's just a physical freak. Um, and it's hard to, you got to remember, like he's still maturing as a, as a, well, he's only 22 years old. Yeah. And like, I mean, you know, uh, most props don't hit their peak until at least another couple of years. So I think we're still going to see continued improvement. Um, I, I don't actually think his game's gotten worse. Like for, for Supercoach, yeah. But I, I feel on the field, he's getting better. He's learning how to, you know, in, uh, work a pass into his game. So, and even like a, a late offload near the line. So that's where he got a couple of late tries towards the back end of the season. So I feel like every, you know, we are seeing Payne Haas continue to develop as a player. So, you know, even if his minutes drop, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm just going to lock him in for the season. Um, as you say, there's a potential he's, you know, even if he's five points under, 10 points under, whatever, locking him in for the year, he's most likely going to be a top two front row forward. I, I can't see him not finishing up there. So, yeah, simple one. Yeah, and I think it's going to be as well that you're buying him at his, at his bottom. Like, I don't think that he can get much worse. So I think that that's kind of a good thing because it's only upside. And if you get what you pay for, you're still going to get, a very gun score in the front row forward spot. So the downside is very, very limited in purchasing Payne Huss. He's only 595000 So a lot of the guys that you're going to say are top of their position are going to cost you, in, even in the forwards, it's going to be towards 700 k So he's like 100 k less than what you can expect to pay in the other forward spot. And that's pretty good to get a top-of-the-line guy for under six hundred. The The big thing for me was 65% of his points in 2021 were 60 plus. So he actually only scraped into the 60, 60 gun status. Whereas the 2020 and 2019, he was around the 90% mark. So he was, he virtually always went 60 plus before and it turned into like a third of the games. He wasn't hitting 60 plus. That was a little bit of a concern. Um, but I mean, a lot of it to me came down to his base and a little bit of attack, but even just with his base, I mean, I'm expecting him to go up in base. That 54 base is the lowest he's had for, for his career quite easily, 10 points lower than 2020. To me, that's the key. Like, he's got to get that base up. Do you see him getting that base up and getting the extra points from there? Or how do you see him getting those extra points? The main thing for him is that, yeah, he's probably going to get plenty of work still. He's, I think you're counting on him just getting a few more clutch attacks uh, stats, as you pointed out. And at the end of the day, I'm not too worried about the base. Uh, I think that, this season, I mean, we're, we're yet to see the impact of the scoring uh, potential changes there with if, you know, if there's less tries being scored, is that all in play a bit more for, you know, the forwards to take more hit-ups or whatever? Like, you know, these things may play out and that might naturally see a little bit of an increase. But, yeah, I'll look, it's just that he's so far ahead against most of the other front row forward position options that I just, I'm not going to overthink it. I'm just going to lock him in. Yeah, he's a fantastic buy for round one. Everyone should be considering putting him in your front row forward spot to build a foundation for those forwards. Uh, we did see the offload start to come, like Wilfred said. No, I do think they're going to need that, obviously, with Tavita Penguin Jr. 
uh, leaving, going over to Penrith last year and now over to the Bulldogs. I think that left a bit of a hole. And guys like Carrigan that are coming in are really a worker. They're not guys that are going to create much. So certainly I think there's some room for Haas to develop his game even more and the Broncos are going to need him too. Rising gun, Wilfred. Katoni Staggs is one of the highest owned players in Supercoach already in the preseason as far as the centre wing goes. A lot of people are jumping on because he's only 433000 Completely makes sense because that's a that's a decent price. He's not going to have goal kicking. He, he has goal kicked a little bit in the past. There's no way he's going to do that with Adam Reynolds there. So it's a little bit of a cross. Uh, I've got a little bit of a love-hate relationship with this particular pick. So I'm really going to be searching for your guidance on it because in the past, I've seen the talent in real life. I haven't seen where so much love is coming from in Supercoach because he just has so many low scores in him. And I really don't like that. You know, he can go big, which is great, but he can also go low a lot of the time. And he, he's got games where he scores a try and, and, you know, gets a 40 to 50 type of score. When you're breaking down his stats, obviously he was hurt last year, right? So he's only got the four games to show for it. Not a great sample size and not much to show. So he averaged 62 points a game. I, I think that we can, you know, safely say that it's a small sample size and you need to look at what he did in 2020 to a degree. That was 59 points a game. So he was still virtually a gun the last two seasons anyway. So nothing wrong with looking at him at 433,000. There is a few things that people should temper their expectations with, in my opinion. 2020, I mentioned the low scores. 25% of his games basically were sub 40. 60 plus only happened 29% of the time, which is really low. Uh, And his base actually dropped last year, even though it was a small sample size. Having a base sort of around that 25 mark, you know, isn't the worst between the last sort of two years, but it's it's not the best. And you have guys like, you know, my beloved Tupo who's on a wing and still manages a base of like 33 raw and stuff like that. So I don't like his raw base that much. I don't love his propensity to get so many lower scores, but he does have the ability to go big. And we did see that with some of his tons in 2020. He had a few tons, had a big one there as well. So he can obviously go big. He can definitely score doubles that can help him go big and get to that 100-plus mark. Biggest key for me is that he is 433K. I guess, Wilfred, passing over to you, I'm not as sold as some people are that he's going to be this. Well, from what, how people are talking about him, I think people are expecting him to score like 70-plus under the new scoring, 75-plus. You know, People are expecting big things. And I just think that people might get a little bit disappointed with Katoni Staggs and certainly his consistency and he's coming back from quite big injuries last year. Yeah, look, I think, I mean, I, I definitely see where you're coming from. I'm also not getting overhyped about him, but I do feel at that price tag, it's kind of hard to find someone who's got that potential ceiling that he's got. Mm. I mean, you know, given what he's priced at, he's got a bit of a discount. And I know that's a bit of a narrative, but when he's coming back from an ACL, it's usually the 18-month-plus mark where players, you know, especially outside backs, only really start to get their zip and their acceleration back. I I talked about this previously, but RTS, I mean, when he came back, it wasn't the first year, it was the second year back from his ACL when he just absolutely tore it up that season. So I do think that might lean a little bit into it from a narrative perspective. One thing I will say is that, you know, even when you looked at those numbers there, he did have, you know, a couple of games in 2020 where uh, I think in, in round one, he didn't he only played 50-odd minutes. And then the last game in round 20, he only played 11 because that's when he got hurt. So... I think, you know, that's probably a bigger concern for me. He does have a propensity to get himself hurt. And I just, like, when you take those 
you know, injury affected scores out. Like he's averaging, you know, roughly 40 odd in base and base attack. And I know you've just kind of looked at his raw base. And uh, I guess the thing with Scatoni is like, he is a tackle buster, you know, he loves to bust a tackle and he's got that attacking upside and, you know, the way he runs and, and he's such a threat near the line, like, um, you give him the ball 10 meters out, he's going to score a lot of the time. Um, I, I agree with you there. And that, but that, just to jump in, that's why I bring up raw base. So one of the things I really like to look at with raw base is to me, it, it indicates their involvement. And I'd yep. love to see Katoni being getting involved more, like taking more runs, even if it's just hit-ups, but just getting his hand on the ball. And I think yeah, that, that rule base really shows that. No, I, look, I, I totally agree. Um, I'm not disagreeing with you at all on that one. Um, it, it It's certainly an opportunity for him to improve his game. But I guess, you know, in... In a, in a sense, I'm not comparing him to Latrell in any way, but you know, that was <laughs> but like <laughs> I said, I'm not, I'm not comparing him to Latrell. I'm just saying the criticism of Latrell for ages was his refusal to get involved, especially from left center, right? So you know, in a in a similar vein, Katsoni is explosive the way Latrell is explosive. Yep. Um, they're not quite on the same level, but I think part of that is because they conserve a little bit of their energy so that they can really explode when they put the ball in hand and and attack. And put be that threat. So again, I'm not comparing them as players necessarily, but I do feel like there's an there's an element of that um, about his game. So look, I don't think he's ever going to be like a, a workhorse, um, but I do feel he's got that potential to explode for a couple of big scores. And the reality is, he's 433. All you need for him to do is hit that once or twice in you know a three four round period. You sell him after that for someone who's a genuine keeper. Like yeah. he's a, I see him as a perfect bridge to hopefully get to a Brian Tall ASAP, basically. Yeah, and that's really good. And, like, I think that that's a really good tempered expectation because uh, I would be looking at selling him too. I think too many people are probably looking at him as they're, they're quite sold that he might be a, a top four centre wing for the year or certainly a keeper for the year, and I, I just I don't think that he will be. But his price is right. 433K, I couldn't advise anyone against it. I think he's a fine purchase. He's going to make 100K at some point. It should be reasonably early on. So it's an easy price point. He's going to make money. The question will just be if you're only going to be a, if you're only got a build that's going to choose one guy in your center wing that's 400 plus, is Katoni Stags your man? Uh, even if you're going to choose two that are going to be, you know, 400K to 500K, is Katoni Stags your man? That's going to be the question marks because there's obviously a few other options that are in that price range and, and some of them the goal kick as well. So it just depends. You know, you're going to probably be choosing out of half a dozen options in that 400 to 520 type of range. And whether he ends up being the best one out of the lot, that's going to be the big question mark. But I don't think you can go wrong. You know, he's, he's got a good price point and he's discounted, like Wilfred said. So pre- pretty strong consideration for Katoni. Uh, definitely got the talent. So let's see if he can come back from the injuries and have a big year. Controversial discussion, Wilfred. Um, Adam Reynolds, great in real life. Never been phenomenal in Supercoach, but I feel like, you know, in fairness to Broncos fans, every fan base likes to jump on their their shiny new toy and and think that it's the best thing ever and and having it in your Supercoach team is a lot of fun. Adam Reynolds has always been solid. You know, for the last five years, he's basically been between a 52 to a 60 average, and that's he's been very consistent in that regard. The last two years, he's gone 58 and 60, so sort of, on the fringe of gun status. He's going to be turning 32 this season. Uh, so not a spring chicken. He's going to have goal kicking, which is great. But one of the things to consider, and I have seen a few people go, you know, well, Adam Reynolds' price tag is pretty good. Um, I spoke about 
the the halves problems and the scarcity with Luke Garrity last week about how uh, the seven and six spots, you know, you've got four spots to plug there and it's problematic if you're not going to have a, a Munster or Cody Walker or a Cleary. And certainly two of those guys aren't going to be playing round one potentially, then it's really hard. Then you get people starting to look at guys that are cheaper and, and Adam Reynolds is going to be that guy. So if you only want to pay half a million dollars or something, you know, Adam Reynolds is, is in that price range, but he doesn't go big even with the goal kicking at Souths. He had one ton last year. Um, he's going 60 plus 45% of the time, which for a half isn't great. And you're outlaying still a fair bit of money for him. So I don't think you'll argue with me, Wilfred, that he's a mistake. But the other thing that people need to remember is that the Broncos aren't South. He's not going to be kicking as many goals either. So his age combined with the fact that he's going to a, a lesser team to be polite about it. Uh, you know, I, I don't think he's going to match the last two years of what his scoring is. And he, he's definitely not an option at all for me. No, and I think the fact is, like, every time a half goes to a new team, I'm always very reserved about what I expect for the first, you know, five, six, even ten rounds. And and I liken it to what I was thinking when, you know, when Milford first signed for the Broncos. And I've got to throw my obligatory Milford chat here, but, you know, when, when he first, uh, you know, transitioned from fullback of the Raiders to 5'8", like he was not a good option and it took some time for him to adjust and then settle into his role and then we just saw him explode after that. So, you know, I'm not suggesting that Adam Reynolds is going to ever explode uh, super coach wise but, like, there's always a transition you know, it might be his team in terms of directing them around and all of that type of stuff. But, you know, combinations take time to build. Like, uh, like he's going to be partnered with Jordan Ricky, So Ricky's going to learn, you know, the right lines to, to run and he's probably going to have to work on his hands. And not that Reynolds is great at kind of using his back edge back row um, normally anyway, but like that's all going to take some time. And Reynolds probably knows, has to learn when to pass it to Katoni and, um, when to obviously kick to uh, hopefully uh, Selwyn Cobo uh, on the right wing there. So like there's, he's, he's definitely got the, the exciting edge in terms of super coach options to kick to and to pass to. It's just, I don't think it's always going to translate to him. So yeah, look, I, I think it's not that controversial. Honestly, I, he'd be a, a well clear. Um, he's not an option for classic, even for draft. I, I think, you know, I'm not I'm not a huge draft player, but I, I do feel he might get overdrafted uh, just because, you know, they'll be, people will look at his goal-kicking status and everything like that. There's no way he's going to average 17.8 points per game in goal-kicking at the Broncos compared to what the Rabbitohs just did last year. Mm, I'm, I'm actually going like, to, to be controversial about it, I'm actually going to say that there is a chance that he's disappointing, even just from a real-life perspective. Yeah. You know, I... I can see Adam Reynolds getting very frustrated at the Broncos because people have to remember he's a lifetime South Sydney player. South Sydney, while he's been there, certainly in recent times, has been a successful club with a lot of representative players and a spine at his disposal that has been very good for him. Uh, He's going to be at the Broncos with not much of a spine at all to work with, and he's older now. He can't really put a team on his back anymore. I can see a lot of mistakes, and I can see a lot of growing pains for Adam Reynolds. I I could also see him coming out the other side and I can certainly just see his veteran influence and his leadership and directing the team around the park being great for the Broncos. But I can see a lot of frustration and a lot of errors and potentially even at the end of the season, I'll controversially say some people questioning whether he was worth the big money uh, three-year offer that he actually got at his age. Uh, That's probably controversial for me to say, but not saying it's definitely going to happen, but 
you know, it's it's there. It's definitely there for me. Yeah, I, I guess maybe you've forgotten that South Sydney, the Rabbitohs did have a couple of lean years, like, you know, two or three years in a row where they missed finals. So it's not like he hasn't been through that, you know, that period of playing for a not-so-good team as well. But obviously in recent years... It's like four years ago, though, isn't oh, it? Oh, yeah, Five like 2016, 2017, around then. So I just think, like, it's obviously he's been through that period. So he knows what it's like to pay, play for, a you know, a bit of a battling team as well as obviously a really successful one. So... Well, I I agree absolutely. There's no guarantees that he's going to be the the savior of the Broncos or whatever. But I do think his skill set really matches what the Broncos needed from a from a from a seven that they've been you know dying crying out for the last couple of years in particular. Oh, no doubt they needed his kicking and organizing and leadership. There's there's absolutely no doubt at all. Uh, let's move along to fallen guns, Patrick Carrigan. Yeah, Carrigan unfortunately uh, got to round ten. And did his ACL. Um, no good for the Broncos, no good for real life, but he's going to be back and starting in the 13 jersey for 2022. He ended up 53 points a game last season. Big drop off from his 67 points a game in 2020. Now that was all down to minutes. You know, Carrigan is a, a one PPM staple, very meat and potatoes. He's going to have a high base. I only ended up with that 53 average in 2021 with, you know, eight games, so a decent sample size. Wilfred, but he was playing 55 minutes a game. Even when you look at his um, injury-affected game, you know, he's still throwing 31 minutes. But even if you take that one out, he started off the year playing 80 minutes. And then he was, you know, 59, 62, got hurt at 44, um, 52, 59, 55. So it looked like that the plan after the first round was that he was going to be playing sort of 55-ish minutes he ended up at 55 minutes anyway on an average. So I think that, that was around about what Walter's plan was anyway. That's going to be disappointing for him if you're looking at him when he's obviously coming back from an ACL around the 470K mark to purchase for Supercoach. But if there's some realm of possibility that his minutes go back up, even if it's not the 68 minutes in 2020, certainly 65 ago, and you do have a pack with those younger guys in it and with some of the old heads retiring, so certainly... It might be crying out, particularly when you look at your bench for a guy like Carrigan to play bigger minutes. If he does, does that 65 a game, you know, he could easily be eight, nine, even 10 points undervalued from his, you know, 53 points a game average in 2021. So I guess the question is, Wilfred, you know, is it worth it at second row forward at that sort of not real expensive and not real cheap price tag to have a pun on someone like Carrigan who can deliver in a meat and potatoes type of way very consistently? Or, you know, is it just the minutes aren't going to be there anyway and he's coming off an ACL, so it's a mistake? I mean, to me, he showed a lot of promise when he came on the scene in 2020. Yeah, I don't know if that was more just from a super coach perspective because as a Broncos fan, I was really frustrated at Carrigan and, and anyone who's listened to me rant about him, um, you know, numerous times knows I'm not his biggest fan. Super coach, uh, super coach promise. So just super coach yeah, promise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> look, he, he's a stat sheet filler. Like, he's you know, good at racking up the numbers and, uh, you know, like <laughs> just a bit of attention, you know, how Cam Smith, like what he was really good at doing was that he'd always be the second or third guy into a tackle. He was very rarely the first guy in, and, you know, as a hooker, that's not, that's not a bad thing necessarily. And that's how he probably stayed injury free. You know, the first guy takes a lot of the impact. Often that's the prop or the the lock who is there. And, and the thing is, is Carrigan, you know, when he was playing lock, he'd, still somehow always be the second or third guy into the tackle. So he, you know, pad those tackle stats, but I just feel like his on-field impact a lot of the time, you know, wasn't great. 
<laughs> but you know, with ball in hand, sure, he was always willing, and I respect his work ethic in that sense. But he also, like, I just don't think he's suited to play long minutes. Um, maybe as he gets a bit more experienced and you know gets an older head on his shoulders, sure. But what we often saw, like, as soon as he got fatigued, like, he made some really stupid decisions, like ball in hand or in defense. He'd give away the the worst penalties. Uh, look, it, it was, you know, coach killer territory, basically. And I think that's why Kevy wanted to restrict his minutes. And whether he was aiming for 55 or 60 or whatever, it definitely seemed like an intentional plan. Now, the big question is, is, is he going to go back to lock this year or not? Because I honestly feel Kobe Hetherington was a far more effective 13 than Carrigan was. I, I, I think Carrigan could actually be a really good, you know, 45, 50 minute, 55 minute prop. And I'd actually like to see him partner Haas up front and have Kobe at 13. Now, I don't know if Kevy's going to do that. I think Kevy could end up just putting Carrigan back at, uh, at, back at lock. And, you know, as you say, like if he's getting 65 minutes and he's got his old work rate back, then sure. But I think for Supercoach that, you know, it's hard to argue with that. But I, as a Broncos fan, I'm hoping dearly that he's not in that role because I just, it, Kobe made our whole defense so much better when he was playing there at the back end of last year once he'd settled into his role. And, and you know, again, Hetherington's not good for Supercoach because that's not what he was good at. Like on the field, you know, he'd hit guys and they'd stay down because he was hurting the crap out of them. And, you know, legal hits, obviously. He's not of knocking course. the heads off or anything <laughs> like that. But, like, he was hitting and hurting guys and that really, I, I feel it lifted the whole defensive intensity of the team. Whereas, again, Carrigan, never the first guy into the tackle, and, you know, often flops and falls off. So, yeah, huge. It's chalk and cheese the way they they both defend that law. Look, I just think that um, putting my Kevy Walters hat on, that Carrigan would be the 13. Um, I see what you're saying. And, and certainly some of the predicted teams have Brian James at 10, which I just wouldn't do. I'd have him off the bench. But I, I don't think he's in the top 17, yeah. honestly. <laughs> well, I mean, I can see... That's a very Kevy type of lineup to me. I could very much see Kevy going, let's put a, a veteran plotter, Ryan James, a prop, and, and Carrigan straight back at 13. Like, I, I, I have um, just as a, I know in the, the Broncos have been doing like full contact scrimmages the last week or two, and, uh, you know, a bit of inside goss. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think he was running with the twos in, in today's scrimmage. So, um, you know, shout out to Wenon. <laughs> from the NRL Supercoach Talk podcast for that little tidbit. He he um, happens to be near where the Broncos train, so yep. he managed to catch that. Nice. But, yeah, he, he looked like he was running off the twos. So maybe Kevy's making some smarter moves. Who knows? No, it's probably his great coaching smokescreen to, to catch everyone out in round one, <laughs> and he's going to unleash Ryan James on everyone in the NRL. <laughs> secret weapon, secret weapon. <laughs> um, look, if if that's the case, like who does start? Next to Payne Haas, then who is a who is a front row forward for them? If it's not well, Heddington, you know that's really there's not many options. Is there to start? Yeah, I think I think um, there was a chance there was going to be Flegler, but he's obviously suspended first couple of rounds. So I do think it's going to be a little bit up in the air um, what happens from round one. So yeah, we'll have to see. But I, I, I do I think I agree with you. I, I feel like Carrigan's going to end up at thirteen, and that that's going to kill me a little bit inside. <laughs> well, one of the things with these guys that are sort of on the cusp of playing good minutes is that now in the HIA era, there's a high propensity of forwards to end up off HIA. And if you are a forward that manages to avoid it, say Carrigan, 
then you can pick up an extra few minutes just by virtue of the HIAs and guys getting ruled out. So that can happen quite a bit too. Um, look, to finish off on Carrigan, I, at his price tag, I think there's a lot of guys that you can choose, so I wouldn't be going him myself. In draft, though, he's probably the first guy out of Payne Haas, Staggs, Reynolds, that I actually think you can get some value out of in draft. And I think that you'll get him later in the drafts and it'll be really solid there when you can plug him in for an easy 55, potentially a 60-plus if he has a good year. So I think that he's got a fair bit of draft value for people, uh, whereas the other three guys, Haas will go way early. Stags will go way too early as a centre wing that's volatile. And Reynolds, like you said, will go way too early in draft as well. Yeah, I like that call. Uh, as far as mistakes go, controversial again. Barnsley's bringing out all the controversy for you, Wilfred, with the Broncos <laughs> team. Uh, Capo, love the signing. Uh, I'm not going to say love. I like the signing for the Brisbane Broncos. <laughs> uh, I don't like it for Supercoach at all. Um, now, some people will look at it and go, you know, Kurt Capel didn't get to play 80 minutes a game last year. Uh, he, he'll play 80 minutes for the Broncos on an edge. He only averaged 66 minutes a game for the Panthers last season. Uh, he hasn't ever played 80 minutes a game on an edge um, since 2017. He's always been that 54 to 69-minute type of guy. For his 66 minutes a game, he gave the Penrith Panthers a paltry supercoach score of 49 points a game. His PPM has never been great, barring 2020, where he went on a bit of a try-scoring frenzy as well, and he was almost at one as a PPM. But otherwise, you know, you can pretty much pencil him in for about a 0.7 PPM, uh, and that's kind of what he is. His base last year was 37 raw, which is pretty bad, but, you know, he is an edge-back rower, so we'll cut him some slack there. But, look, the the big thing with Capewell, you know, is people are going to look at him and they're going to go, you know, Barnsley, if he plays an extra 14 minutes a game and you've got Capewell priced at only 431000 then, you know, there's quite a bit of value there. Sometimes there's value there, and other times guys just aren't going to be able to score enough with the extra opportunity. So, I mean, Wilfred, even if he gets 80 minutes a game, you know, this is a guy that who's nine games in a row last year was sub 50. In a row, he couldn't score 50 points in nine straight games. With six of those, he was actually sub 40. So, even if he plays 80 minutes at his PPM last year, which is, by the way, aside from 2020, his highest PPM, you know, he's still not going to get a huge amount out of it. You know, he's still maybe going to get an extra six points a game. And for a guy that only averaged 49, you know, is the six points a game really worth it? And is he even going to be able to do that? You know, it's, do you even think that he's going to be at 80 minutes? Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure he'll be playing 80 minutes. I think part of the role he was brought on was to be that, you know, on-field kind of leader, you know, He's not going to be captain or anything like that, but I definitely think he's that experienced head. You know, the Broncos have a lot of younger forwards who are promising and up and coming, but they they didn't have a reliable and actually still capable of competing at first grade level uh, older head there to stay on the field. Um, you know, I love Alex Glenn, but I think it was clear mm. he just wasn't up to, you know, a weekly kind of NRL first grade role anymore. And he was just kind of forced to play out there because they needed that older head. But, you know, Capwell will be a better version of that. I guess, you know, counterpoint to what you're saying, oh, I don't disagree on, on the whole. I will point out at the back end of the season, I mean, he had like bruised ribs and, and rib cartilage issues and things like that uh, mixed in with those scores. Uh, I think he played center for one of those games and, and also was, you know, I think moved to center in, in, in another. So there are some reasons for some of those lower scores. 
if I looked at his 2021 20, scores, I mean, he played probably, you know, maybe nine or 10 games of 65 to 80 minutes. And in, you know, in that he averaged about 58. So like, I can certainly see that there is potential for him to have an increase, but um, as far as where, whether I'd call him a mistake, I don't think necessarily he'll be a mistake. Like, I don't think he's going to lose money for starters. I, I just think he's not going to necessarily make enough money to be worth starting at that price. Like, as you say, he might appreciate five points per game. Um, he's probably not going to get many attacking stats because he's going to be running off, you know, whoever the five eighth is. Well, here's the other thing too, right? He's coming from the Penrith Panthers grand final in his last year. <laughs> That's it. To the Brisbane Broncos, a bottom three side, who's a, a tackle, like you said, was 12.7 points a game or whatever it was for the first couple of months yeah. of the season. So, I mean, it's just any extra, if he gets an extra five points just from his minutes, he might just lose those just from the lack of attack. I mean, he's got, what, four tries, I think, all season, maybe five. Like, it's not like he had huge amounts of attack. Five tries, yeah. Um, and just one try assist. So, like, yeah, uh, I think it probably is much of a muchness, muchness, honestly. Like, I'm not too, like, I'm certainly not rushing capable into my team. I'm not actively telling people not to get him. I, I, like that, I think that's where I'm drawing the line. But, mm-hmm. you know, at that same price tag, there might be some other names I'd be looking at, you know, slightly cheaper instead. I'd rather roll the dice on them. I'm going to actively tell you not to get Kevin Capewell. <laughs> that's fair. I'm going to go out on a limb and, and tell people I, I, I don't normally say don't get someone, don't get him. Uh, I just, I don't see it. And as far as it being a mistake, like I get what you're saying as well, but to me, what you're saying is my criteria for mistake. He's not going to make any money, so you can't really sell him. Um, if he does make any money, it might take you to like round 12, <laughs> and that's just way too long. Uh, and then as far as points go, he's going to plot along and maybe give you a solid 50 if you're lucky um, and have few attacking stats in that Broncos side. So he's not going to really have any ceiling games either. So. All in all, I think you're going to regret your purchase because he's not going to give you much of anything and you're going to end up selling him for like a 20K profit or something frustrated in week five or six. Um, so I, to me, that's my definition of a mistake is going to be that. <laughs> so I'm going to go, I'm going to put a line through Kirk Capel right now. I'm also going to just, you know, I have to throw in some of my love children each episode. So for you, Wilfred, I'll say, if you want to get a guy that doesn't have very good base, that, you know, you want to roll a dice on on an energy, just pay an extra like 20k and just get Satili Tipino. Like he's got a good draw, he plays for a good side and he's a gun. Uh, he's just he's a he's an edge god waiting, you know, to happen rather than a Kurt Capel at the end of his career. I knew Satili was gonna come up, but I just I mean, <laughs> yeah, look, I, I, I was a fan of Satili last year. He was the right price. I started with him, so you know, I'm certainly not a hater. I just think for him, you know, the, the you can't ignore the fact that he gets shifted to center a lot. And when he oh, look, it's, I, I don't think Satili's a great buy either. The Kirk Capel gets shifted to centre a lot and they're actually quite comparable. And Satili's just got such better ceiling and he's a young guy and can actually show that he can score big. So, I mean, they're, they're, they're pretty comparable on price, um, position, and they both get shifted a little bit as well. So, like, yeah. you know, to me, you, he's a perfect example of, well, look at this guy over here who's virtually the same and he's way better. Like, I'm not saying Satili's a way, is an awesome purchase by himself. But if you're going to buy Kurt Capel, this guy over here is way better. So why bother? Yeah, I mean, I mean, like, there's probably other names I'd throw out there before Satili. If I were going to oh, there's plenty one. of other ones too. <laughs> plenty of other ones too. I agree with you. There's a plenty, plenty other names that that you could get instead of Kurt Capel. So let's move on from Kurt. Yep. You know, Kurt's going to be a great purchase for the Broncos in real life. So no disrespect to Kurt, but um, not for Supercoach. 
Big Boss Pod. Oof, this one's controversial. Uh, I mentioned that I, I quite liked what I saw from New at, um, at fullback, especially. Obviously had some growing pains, Wilfred. Obviously, you know, defensive decisions at times. There were some really bad ones that I think I spoke to you on chats about <laughs> during games that were just really bad and, and pretty bad effort ones too, which isn't great to see from a, a young guy. But he is only young and he did show some promise. He scored 58 points a game in 2021 across 16 games. Got dropped part of the way through the year, as I said, for, for a while, which I didn't like Kirby doing. Round 15 till round 25, he actually played in the number one jersey, whereas early on he was playing at centre. And that's key because at the moment he's projected to start at one. If he's one and he's available at centre wing, which he is, that's that's pretty good. Um, but you're going to have to pay over 500000 for him. That's the that's the negative on it. But looking at his numbers in the one jersey, you know, he was 64 points per game at fullback last season. So you could say he might be six to seven points underpriced. And that doesn't include potentially better attack for South, particularly with Adam Reynolds going into the spine um, and also doesn't include any improvement that he's going to have. He's a young guy that, that has now got a full off-season under his belt, maybe training at the number one spot. So I, I do think that he had some good raw base as well, which is promising. He, he got 27 raw base out of him last year, and I think that was a click or two higher as a, as a fullback as well. And he had the penchant for the base attack stuff, which we all love. So a fullback that can... Uh, have decent base plus some offloads plus the tackle breaks, which he was really good at at times. You, you can normally sign me up for that at centre wing. I think that the price tag's a thing that's over 500k that's going to put a lot of people off. Uh, but as far as big ball, balls pod goes, if, if Broncos start a lot better than what they have before, for 500k, you know, I could see Tessie New actually going half decent um, to start the year for the Broncos. And certainly he's going to be a pod as well. Yeah, look, I can't disagree with any of that, honestly. I think it's a pretty good summary of Tessie as, an, as a prospect and also just as, a, you know, the potential there is certainly there. I think for me a lot of time when I'm, you know, looking at someone like this, I'll often just see, you know, what are the chances that they are going to spike and, you know, hopefully make a quick 100 grand here or there. That's what I like to do if I am going to roll the dice on someone like a Tessie new. So, you know, you've pointed out that there are a couple of easy matchups in that mixed amongst, uh, you know, a couple of tough ones around round five or six or thereabouts. And I think that's probably my concern. Like when you're hoping he's going to make the money, then that's when he runs into his tougher matchup. So that's probably one reason I'd look away a little bit. But, yeah, look, as you say, it's a big, big balls pod option and I can certainly see why he fits that category. He's, he's good scores he did against um, non-top eight opposition. Um, or at least opposition that wasn't that great. So, I mean, the Sharks were top eight, but they were eighth, I think, from memory. 85 against them, 99 versus Newcastle, um, who were the fringe top eight as well, 84 against them as well, 92 against the Titans. Um, and then he had a big 104 against the Sharkies. So there's actually those fringe top eight guys, not the not the bottom dwellers that he was actually really good against. Um, but when he was in his fullback jersey, he had a 15 to start off with. Um, but that was like a hammering against South. So if you kind of discount that, he then went on an eight-game run where he only had two scores that were below 50 points and, in fact, only three that were below 60. So he was pretty consistent, which I liked, and then he had those higher ones in there, the 104 and the 99 and 85 and 84, which were half of his games at the fullback spot. So really like what he has to offer. Um, I think that the big buying, the big purchase for him opportunity-wise is going to be in draft. Uh, I, I think that in draft, 
getting him as a center wing that you could also move to fullback if you luck out in the fullback stakes, that's going to be really handy to have in draft. And he's someone who is going to give you immense value for his draft position. So I like it there. Uh, I would I will actually say, though, that I wouldn't begrudge anyone if they're going to go heavy center wing uh, and get like three or four guys in that 400 to 500K range. I wouldn't begrudge anyone for going him as like a massive pot option because I could see him going very well early on and, and being a bit of a revelation at fullback if the Broncos go half decent for the year. Yeah, I guess I just don't expect it from round one. If anything, if he's going to go half decent, it'll be later once Reynolds has settled in a bit more and, you know, the the spine's a bit more settled as well. So, look, I, I guess, you know, the other issue is, is you, if you're going to get a Broncos back, you're probably going to have stags instead. And, you know, you're going to have, I mean, if Selwyn Cobber is named on the, the wing, like most people are going to get Cobber as well. So, you know, is anyone really going to have three Broncos backs out in their team? Like that just, you know, aside from the Broncos fans and even I'm not going to do it. So no, well, I don't think that very many people will at all. So it's a very good point. Um, and again, for the new listeners, Big Balls Pod is a ride out there, you know, not a recommended decision, but what it's up the ride out there. You know, he's the, the big balls pod here that does have the upside to actually do well, even though he's not really expected to go that great and isn't on anyone's radar. Um, but you mentioned Cobo, so let's go straight over to him. When we're talking mids and cheapies, he's a mid. He's not very cheap, but at 320K, he's not going to break the bank. He does look immensely talented, and that's probably the thing that I like about Cobo. Um, everything that I've heard about him has been positive. At the moment, he looks like he's slated to start on the wing. He only averaged 41 points a game last year, though, in his seven appearances. Now, one of those was a 16-point, 23-minute um, appearance. So you can kind of discount that. But he scored two tries. And, you know, one of those was the last game of the season. He scored 75 points with his try. The other one, he scored 66. But the, the games that he didn't score a try that he still played 80, he was 25 points, uh, 36, 31, 35. So probably what you can expect from an average type of winger but at the 320k price tag, you know, I'm a bit torn on this one, Wilfred. So I'm really keen on your advice because he, I would like to get someone like him because he seems to be talented. If he was in a side that was like a top four attack, I would. Uh, but he's not. He's in the Broncos side, and the 320k can be a bit awkward where maybe you're waiting, you know, a couple of months to actually make that 100k, and you're having to play him quite a bit in that period. So. Yeah, I'm really not sure. And obviously we don't have a lot of data to, to have a look at for young Selwyn. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I will I'll, I guess I'll throw in as a caveat, like three or four of those games you mentioned, he was playing centre. So I think the, the thing for him is he's, he's he's probably going to be a fullback in the future. So I feel like the wing is going to be a much better spot for him. Uh, I, I think he's probably going to benefit from playing next to Katoni Staggs. You know, Staggs is a creator. He can make things happen uh, there was a little period when in, in 2020 when Osako and Staggs playing next to each other, they were both turning up, you know, together. So I, I think, you know, if he and Cobo make that kind of same little connection, it could be quite a lethal edge. Uh, I, I mean, look, I see where you're coming from. The talent's definitely there. Uh, I do think, you know, when he, after he played first grade, like he obviously was you know, fresh as a rookie and he wasn't ready for it. And then I think later on, he ended up um, you know, taking a lot of confidence, I think, from playing first grade. He went back to Reggie's later and he just had an absolute 
like I know it's the Q Cup grand final, but he was just so incredibly good in that game. Like people were just in awe of how talented he was and how much potential he showed. Uh, and I think that will carry over. And from all of all reports, his training, his work ethic, everything is just like top notch at the moment. So he's primed for a really big season. I do feel that. How much of that translates to super coach? I don't think it's all going to be there. I don't think he's ever going to be like a, you know, he's certainly no Brian Toll in terms of work rate or anything like that. But I mean, the the physical aspect of it, like he he's got a lot of the, you know, he ticks a lot of the boxes on what you'd like to see in a, in a player. So again, the price tag, you're right, it's not super cheap, but I think it's gonna he's going to return value. Uh, it's not Charlie Stans from last year, that's for sure. Yeah, it's definitely not Charlie Staines from last year. Cobo, I think, has a bit more talent than Charlie and um, a bit more talent to get the base stats and everything as well. So, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm going to put a um, caveat that it's really going to be TLT dependent. If there's some cheaper options in TLT, I think I'm going to plug the cheaper ones in because I think it's just going to be easier to make the money out of those cheaper ones of what it will be at him at 320K. But if we don't get very many cheap options and we have to choose a lot of guys around that, sort of 250 plus mark, uh, then I'll probably be looking at taking a punt on Cobo. So I, I don't think there's a definitive answer for any team for, for young Selwyn. Yeah, look, I have to agree. I mean, it, it, it's ultimately just going to come in down, come down to how many cheapies there'll be available in certain wing. And really, when we're looking at the other wing, like I'm just curious, like Corey Oates is a very similar price tag. He's about 340k. And yeah, he's he hasn't been very good for a couple of years, so we're not going to spend too much time on him. But when we're looking at the two wingers, like obviously we've got Cobo, Oates, and Asako. Asako's going to the Dolphins in 2023. Which of the two do you see making those wing spots? Oh, it's going to be Oates and Cobo for, for round one at this stage, barring any sort of dramatic kind of flop or, you know, amazing performance from you know, Osako or Pereira or anything in the trials. But yeah, at the stage, it's Oates and Cobo running out with the ones, basically. So, I mean, does Oates require any attention as far as being able to do a bounce back, being able to consistently play 80 minutes on the wing for this season when he hasn't been doing that for the last couple? Or is he just well too past it, which he has looked, but obviously you've probably read all the stories that I have <laughs> about the off-season narratives about him, you know, really putting in and uh, putting 110% in and training the house, training down. the house down and everything, you know, if as much as you want to take away from that, if he's going to have that wing spot back 340 odd K, no to try score before, you know, could we see a, an Oates from four years ago? Maybe it's probably the most optimistic I'll be on that. Could you possibly uh, purchase him? <laughs> not, not until I see it. Basically he's yeah. definitely not one I'll be willing to start with. Uh, just again, because I don't think there's going to be many points on that left edge for the Broncos, and I don't even know who the 5'8 is. Whereas, you know, it, it seems like it's going to be Reynolds, Ricky, Staggs, Cobbo, and that to me screams points, like both sides. You know, they're going to leak plenty of points, but I think they'll also score plenty down that edge. So, you know, to me, I, I just don't think I could look at that left side for the Broncos at this stage. I love Herbie, and I think he'll be the left center. And, you know, as an individual player, I like what he brings, but. Yeah, I just don't think they're going to be going down that edge too often. Yep, no, that's a fair call. Uh, need to mention the fantastic sponsor of the All-Stars podcast at this point, Top Sport, 100% Australian-owned bookmaker, fantastic partner of the All-Stars podcast who have some fantastic odds up at the moment just for the NRL futures bets, but they will have 
the round one betting up pretty soon as well, I would say. If you do like to have a punt, make sure you do it responsibly, but certainly jump on top spot. They often have the best odds in the market, which is something that I love. Even if you don't want to look at the NRL at the moment, you can jump straight into the NBA halfway through the season. There's great markets on that. Player props, if you don't like to bet head-to-head, are all on there as well. Or you can go over to the NFL, which I know Wilfred loves with all the playoffs that are happening at the moment. Two exciting playoff games last week. You could have had huge money with uh, combining both of those upsets. Uh, the, the last set of games on Monday, it was, uh, well, I think something like $7.50 you would have got to pick both of those together in a multi. So Top Sports got all the juicy odds for you. If you want to jump on and create an account, just use the promo code SC All Stars, all one word, and they'll know that you're one of our listeners and they'll take great care of you. So, Top Sport, fantastic partner of the All Stars podcast. Wilfred, that is the Broncos. We are going to talk the storm in part two of this particular podcast. For part two, uh, you can tune in very, very shortly, but certainly it's on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spotify. You can grab it where all good podcasts are. You can definitely follow us on Twitter as well. Make sure you do. That is at NRL underscore SC underscore All-Stars. Make sure you hit subscribe on wherever you're listening to us too so you get the episode straight away. Tune in to part two very shortly. You can hear us talk all about the Melbourne Storm as well. Thanks for listening. Hey now, you're an All-Star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, go play. Hey now, you're an All-Star. Get your game on, go play.